0: Hello everyone, this is the Neighborhood Hype Girl and welcome to episode 4 of By the Order, a podcast where I discuss each episode of the amazing show Peaky Blinders. Whether you're returning or tuning in for the first time, I am so happy that you're here. Now, it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Before we get started, I just wanted to do a small correction. Around 30 minutes and 45 seconds into the episode, I made a mistake and I misspoke. I said that Campbell realized he was working for the devil, but it should have been Sergeant Moss realized he was working for the devil. All right, let's get started discussing season one episode four. A fun fact about this episode is that it is one of two episodes of the entire series that looks like it's co-wrote with Stephen Knight. The person that co-wrote this episode with him was Stephen Russell so I thought that was just a fun fact. You know, just something that isn't common. And um, there's so much that happens in this episode. My friend, it's so funny, she started watching this uh, series last night. And she texted me and was like, oh my god, I literally feel like the pilot episode was a movie. So much happened. And I was like, yeah, no. (laughs) I know. A lot happens every single episode, which makes taking notes quite the quite the undertaking because I'm having to pause and rewind and go back and sometimes I have to watch a scene you know two or three times so that I can get everything written down because again as Kristen and I discussed last episode every single thing is relevant I'm sitting there watching and I'm just like okay do I really need to write that down but I'm just like you know I know better yeah I do and sure enough it always ties up a loose end always 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 So let's get started. Here we go. The episode opens and we see Ada and Freddie on a boat in a canal. And honestly, they just look blissfully happy. Very carefree. Ada is very pregnant and they have some luggage with them on the boat sitting behind them. Then we see Freddie walking with someone and the man asks Freddie how was London and Freddie says it was crackling with revolution. The poplar docks are on strike. The man whose identity we still don't know asks if their friend gave them what they asked for. Freddie pulls something wrapped in brown paper from his pocket and the man asks how much. And so at this point, we can kind of infer that he's probably talking about money, which Freddie confirms and says that it's 200 pounds. The man asks Freddie who he met, and Freddie says it was an attaché from a Russian embassy and a Chinese restaurant. And the man says, our revolution is international, and it's growing by the day. We see Tommy walking and smoking, and he's joined by by our guy, Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah. Jeremiah falls in step with Tommy while he's walking in. Tommy says, I love his accent. He says, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what do you see? I love the way he says his R's. So hot. I said what I said. Jeremiah tells Tommy that Ada and Freddie arrived back in Birmingham that morning and that he tried to follow them, but Freddie's so good at getting away and that Freddie's like a fish. And Tommy, as always, just keeps walking and he's unfazed and he says, right, well, keep fishing, eh? Jeremiah stops and turns the other direction to walk away. Tommy continues walking and he sees a wagon that makes him take pause. He looks at it but kind of shrugs it off and he continues inside the bedding room. Then the camera zooms in and it reveals that there are several men in the covered wagon and it's the Lee men. One man, Erasmus Lee, speaking Romani, says, we wait until the boy is in position. Then we see a little boy that definitely doesn't belong. He walks into the bedding room and he walks in up to the table and he hands someone at the bedding table some money, but really he goes unacknowledged, unnoticed, but he definitely doesn't belong. And that's the, here we go, y'all, life lesson. The thing or the person that doesn't belong is the one to be suspicious of. Just take that little nugget, write it down, write it in your diary, put it in your mental Rolodex, put it in your phone, put it in your back pocket. The one that doesn't belong is the one to take notice of and to be suspicious of, just saying, which that point will be proven in just a moment. It's actually genius how they did that. So he goes and acknowledged and... I think it's probably because there is a man at the betting table who's kind of making a scene because he showed up too late to make his bet and he really needed the bet and he's dismissed before any fight starts. But while the man is at the betting table, Tommy walks out because Tommy really doesn't want any trouble and he's not going to jump in until there really is trouble. But luckily, the situation is diffused and the man walks out and Tommy just kind of goes along, smoking as always, and walks off. And while this is happening, the little boy is just standing there and observing. Then he goes into the office that Tommy just left, and he quickly goes into a closet and closes the door behind him. Pretty much immediately after that, we see Polly walk into the room that the closet is in, and we know Polly, right? She's just a boss like that. She has that intuition. She is just pure magic. And... Polly can sense that something in that room is different, and she also takes pause, kind of looks around, but unfortunately, Polly does what some of us do sometimes and just ignores it, shrugs it off, and just keeps going. We can see the little boy watching her through a crack in the closet door, and we know something's about to go down. So Polly is approached by Tommy, who asks where John is, Polly says that John is in the garrison and that he wants a meeting about a family matter and that after John says his piece, John will be back in the bedding room, bedding room, and take his place with Scudboat, who is a henchman of the Peaky Blinders and Scudboat is portrayed by Kevin Metcalf. Polly and Tommy head out to the garrison and Polly tells Scudboat that John will be there in 10 minutes and Tommy quickly jumps in and says 5 minutes. As they leave Scudboat and it's so interesting they make it a point whenever shooting they make it a point to see how many locks Scudboat locks on the door behind them as they walk out. And so that's that in and of itself is a form of foreshadowing. So Tommy and Polly are walking off together and while still in frame we see the wagon that we just saw pull up to the bedding room. And then we see the little boy swiftly come out of the closet and run and unlock every single lock that Scud boat just did. The Lee family exit the wagon, completely armed. Each person has a different weapon, whether it's a gun, whether it's an axe or a baton, every single person is armed in some form or fashion. And they walk straight into the bedding room because the little boy lets them in. Scudboat is just really sitting there minding his own business, counting money, and he hears a sound. And he stops and asks if it's John, who he's expecting because Polly and Tommy just told him that he's going to be there. Then the Lehman bust through the door and they charge at Scudboat. One of them holds a shotgun to his face and says, this is for Cheltenham, which are the races from the previous episode where the Peaky Blinder stopped the Lees from stealing and then they took all the money back that they stole. He says, we're just taking back what's ours. Then they proceed to beat Scudboat up and one of the men says, there's money here. Search everywhere. Then we see, we're going to the next scene, we see Polly and Tommy enter their private room, their side room at the garrison, where you can always find them. And John is already sitting there with Arthur Shelby. Tommy asks John what's troubling him. And this whole scene to me, it's just like simultaneously hilarious. And then just honestly really sad. John reveals another layer to him that hasn't really been talked about in episodes one, two, or three. And he says that life has been tough since his wife Martha died. Polly says God takes the best first. John says that his kids have been, quote, running bloody rings about around me. Tommy acts impatient, like he has better things to do, and he's being a smarty and says he'll give John money for new shoes for the kids. John says the kids need a mother, and that's why he's getting married. He says that he's already proposed and that the woman has said yes. Tommy says, I think there's a shell about to land and go bang. So really, they're just, like, not even taking John seriously. And John knows that. John then adds another layer to what he's saying and says, the woman he's referring to is Lizzie Stark, portrayed by Natasha O'Keefe. Everyone immediately starts laughing. And the first time I watched, I was like, why are they laughing? Like, what's so funny about him being engaged? And then it is ever so implied and then specifically declared. Paul says Lizzie is a strong woman and I'm sure she provides a fine service for her customers and John cuts her off and he says he won't hear the word he better not hear that word and Tommy asks what word and Arthur starts laughing and says everybody bloody knows and then Tommy says whore prostitute is that the word And John says that if anyone uses that word again, he will push the barrel of his revolver down their throats and blow the word back down into their hearts. Okay, John, calm down. Don't be so emotional. Imagine if a woman said that. Calm down. Polly says, John, Lizzie Stark never did a day's work vertical. And John insists that she's changed. He says, she's changed, all right? People change. John says that Lizzie loves him that he, and that he won't do this without Tommy's blessing. John goes up to Tommy and says, but of all people in the world, I want you to see it as brave. Polly says, brave is going where no man has gone before. And with Lizzie Stark, John, that is really not what you'll be doing. And she laughs. They're really just dismissing him. And they just can't believe what they're hearing. They can't comprehend it. I think they almost think that it's a joke. And Arthur laughs. Tommy laughs. She laughs. And John pleads with Tommy to welcome her into the family. Because he and the kids need someone. So in the middle of all of this kind of, I don't want to say funny, just wild conversation, little Finn opens the door and says, we've been done over. And everybody... The talk of Lizzie is forgotten because what matters most is the bedding room, their money, their business. That's what matters. That conversation is dropped for now. The scene cuts back to the bedding room and we see Arthur pouring Scudboat a drink. The house has clearly been ransacked and they're pissed. They ask what happened and Scudboat explains about the Lehman. They took everything they could get their hands on, including four cash boxes. Tommy walks and is looking very solemn, and he holds a pair of wire cutters in his hand, stating they left these. So I don't know about you, but whenever that happened, I was just as confused as Polly, because, like, what does that mean? Polly asks why they would leave those, and Arthur realizes what's happening and says, nobody move. And John says not to touch anything. Tommy says the Lees are playing a game and that Erasmus Lee was in France. And obviously, so were all of they, so that's why they know what's going on. Tommy says, when we gave up ground to the Germans, we leave behind booby traps set up with wires. We leave wire cutters as part of the joke. They say somewhere in here, there's a hand grenade attached to a wire and to not move any chairs or open any doors. So you can just see the panic on their faces at this moment. They're walking around slowly, and then Tommy realizes that the hand grenade isn't in there. Or I shouldn't say hand grenade, the grenade, I'm sorry, isn't in there because if it was, they would have already been blown away by now. It starts to click with Tommy, and he says it was his name on the bullet that Erasmus sent and that the trap had been set up just for Tommy. Tommy thinks, and then we see him walking to the family car where little Finn is inside playing like little kids do, just pretending to drive. Tommy sees him and you can just see the panic on his face. It's really probably one of my favorite scenes because it shows how compassionate Tommy really is, how he really has this hard exterior, but when it comes down to it, he doesn't want people hurt, especially not his own family and especially not on his behalf. So Finn is there, and Tommy slowly approaches the car and tells Finn to stay exactly where he is. Finn laughs and says, I was pretending to be you, and Tommy is honestly just petrified. Tommy asks Finn what door he opened to get in, and Finn tells him that he didn't. He climbed in. Tommy is just desperate to keep him safe, and Tommy tells him to climb out exactly as he climbed in. And y'all, Finn is clueless. He has no idea what's going on. As far as he's concerned, he's just playing in the family car probably like he's done a million times. Probably just thinks that Tommy is playing with him. He jumps out of the left passenger door very quickly and you see a line move and Tommy sees the grenade. That's what I'm going to call it, a grenade. And he grabs it quickly and he yells, clear, clear. To some of the men that are standing there. And he throws it. And they scatter. And the grenade goes off. And Tommy is shielding Finn. Luckily. Thank goodness. Nobody is hurt. Then Tommy gets on Finn's level. So that they're making eye contact. And tells him. That's why you should never pretend to be me. Okay. I love that sign. I love that sign. Because Tommy knows. You know. Tommy does a lot of bad things. A lot of illegal things. But at the end. He's still a good person. I think that's why he's one of my favorite characters, because he truly is so tragic, which we're really just scraping the surface. We'll we'll get there. By the order. So we see Tommy and Johnny Dogs approaching the Lees, and they're waving a white flag, which is the international symbol of truce or ceasefire. Johnny Dog says, I got you 10 minutes with her, and Tommy really doesn't say anything. He doesn't acknowledge anything. He's just... Just dead in the eyes, just walking. And Johnny Dog says, you could at least say thank you. It's easier to see the Pope these days. While they're walking, even though they're waving the white flag, the leaves are following closely behind them. Johnny and Tommy walk up to a wagon. And Johnny knocks on it, knocks on the door. And then a man goes and opens the door to it from the outside. Tommy walks in alone and we see a woman sitting there alone and she tells Tommy to put his hand on the Bible. Tommy tells her he doesn't believe and that he didn't go there to lie. He's not there to play games. He's there for a reason. He says the war between the Shelbys and the Lees is cutting them all off and that a boy almost died. While they're speaking, I thought it was really neat how they switched between, between speaking Romani and English. Just a side note. I just thought that was cool because languages are everything to me. Tommy says, your boys tried to kill me. It didn't work. He reaches into his pocket and says he has a proposition and, put, and puts something on the table, which we can't see what it is just yet. The woman picks it up and it's a bullet with the name Kimber, as in Billy Kimber, etched into it. She says, I thought he was your ally. And Tommy says, I plan to betray him. She says, no wonder you won't touch a Bible. Tommy tells her that he needs her boys and she asks for what? Tommy says Kimber is not the brains and that there's a gaggi which means a non-Roma person, that runs the races and that he meaning Tommy. Tommy is collecting smart people, but that he needs strong men too. He tells her, now your boy should know this. We now get the winner in one of every three races before the race even starts. No need for chalkers or rafflers. I'm talking certainties. So she basically calls him out and says he comes there boasting about doing someone down and in the same breath, He asks her to trust him, and he tells her, on my mother's side, meaning his mother was a Roma person, he says, we are kin. Let us talk family business, which was a very smart move on his part because one thing that, one of many things of this show that makes it so good and so intriguing for me personally is the meaning of family and how kin is really the only person to be trusted You know, and very few outsiders after, I'm sure, a very long vetting process. It's just how important being of the same people is, and I kind of love it. I'm not saying that just because somebody is family they should be trusted or, you know, they're worth keeping around, but in this show, it is so important, and I really like it. We go to another scene, and we see Freddie bathing, and... He asks Ada to wash his back twice, and she doesn't acknowledge him. Then she finally pipes up and says that she looked in the envelope from the first scene and says that she knows what was in it, and it was money. She then lets him know that she knows that the man they met in London was a Russian, even though Freddie lied and told her he was a Frenchman. She says he's not an idiot. Oh my, I'm so happy she did that because... I've said this before on my Instagram account is like, the first mistake anybody makes is thinking that people don't notice things and that they're getting away with something. Like, I hate when people think that you're not going to figure things out. It's like, yeah, no, I might not say something on the spot, but I notice everything, even if I don't act like I do. So I'm so happy that Ada was like, I'm not an idiot. I know what's going on and you can't hide things from me. Loved that for Ada. She asks, how is it you take all the risk and Stanley Chapman gets all the money? And Freddie says, it's money for the cause. And Ada tells him he's blind. So here's where Freddie kind of tries to deflect. And he says he would be blind if her brothers had anything to do with it. And Ada says, this isn't about them. It's about him and her and the baby. And she's upset and she calls him a a dreamer. And that he's giving all the money away while, quote unquote, while we rot away in here. And Freddie's apartment or room, I'm not going to lie, it looks destitute. It looks, it looks rough. I don't blame her. I would kind of go crazy. Like, okay, can we get some, something to repair the holes in the wall? Like, what's happening, sir? Stop. She says she needs to know who he's loyal to. So then we see Tommy sitting alone in the side room in the garrison, and he's holding a telegram. Polly walks in and closes the door behind her, as well as the little bar window that's between the bar and the side room. She sits down, and Tommy tosses the telegram on the table and asks if she had something to do with it. To which she replies that she asked an acquaintance for an address who said she'd only give it to her anonymously because she's afraid of the consequences. Tommy is out of the loop, and he asks whose address it is, and Polly says that she'd like to suggest a strategy. God, Polly. Let me tell you something. This is a side note, but this is a theme. Some of you know, but if you follow me on my account, I minored in women's studies, and I wish that I would have just majored in it. I always say, of course, and I'm not alone. So many people say this. Women are the backbone of society, and I told my friend that the other day, and she her response was so genius. She said... And they're the central nervous system. They're the heart. Like, we are. I swear to God. Ask Hermione Granger. She'll tell you. So then we go to the next scene. And it is one... We'll get to it. It is one of the most intense scenes. (sighs) Okay, I need to control my anger. So we go to the next scene. And it's dark outside. It's raining. Tommy's standing there. And Chief Inspector Campbell a car pulls up and he gets dropped off so he gets out of the car the car drives off and he says to Tommy your message says you have an address for me Tommy pulls the telegram out holds it up and says anonymous tip off the address of Stanley Chapman Campbell says you promised me Freddie Thorne and Tommy says this is instead of Freddie Thorne Campbell basically he's over it and he says no deal Tommy replies, Inspector, Stanley Chapman is a bigger fish than Freddie Thorne. He is currently holding 200 pounds in cash given to the Communist Party by the Russian government. That's right. Chapman has snow on his boots. And all you need is a shovel. What an interesting way, snow on his boots, to suggest that he's working with the Russians. That's really interesting. So by this point, he has Campbell's attention. Tommy says... If he, meaning Stanley Chapman, talks, you'll have proof. You might even get that medal. He tells him that before he gives him the address that he wants his word, that he will let Freddie and Ada leave the city. Campbell assures him that he has his word. Begrudgingly, but he does say that he does have his word. Then Tommy looks satisfied and he says that their truce is proving to be quite productive for the both of them. Campbell tells Tommy that Mr. Churchill is becoming impatient and that he fears that if Tommy doesn't give him the stolen weapons back soon, he'll be replaced. Tommy assures him that when his business with Kimber is done, that's when the guns will be returned. So these guns are still playing a big part and we're still we're four episodes in and they still haven't been returned. Campbell admits he's like, hey, look, listen up, homie. I'm at your mercy. And... He hopes that his own dismissal doesn't come before the guns are returned. Because if he, meaning if Campbell, were to be fired and it was Tommy's fault, he would do things that would shame the devil. So we're about to get into a monologue that proves, in my opinion, and as we know, I've watched a lot of TV and shows and movies... It's one of the most sinister monologues I've ever heard in my life. One of the most vile, one of the most disgusting. I am going to read it word for word. And it just proves like, wow, this guy is genuinely evil to his core. Campbell starts off by saying, my fury is a thing to behold. Here we go. He says, my last day in power, for example, I would see to it that you and your scum brothers have your heads stoved in with mallets and spades and your sister too. That baby inside her would be of no consequence to me. The only one to be spared would be your little brother, Finn. He would, however, be lifted as a juvenile and dumped into a part of the adult prison Where men have the most appetite for boys like him, that would be a dark day indeed, Mr. Shelby, if my dismissal comes before your decision. End quote. (gasps) Take that in for a second. Imagine speaking those words. And imagine meaning it. Like, you know he meant every word of that while this is happening Tommy is honestly just staring at him emotionless but you can like you can feel his anger and almost imagine what his own inner monologue is and it is just one of the most intense scenes I've ever seen. Chief Inspector Campbell asks if he understands him and that the clock is ticking. Chief Inspector Campbell starts to walk away into the night And Tommy flicks his cigarette on the ground. And as Campbell's walking away, Tommy pulls a gun out of his holster, cocks it, and just holds it facing his back. He has every opportunity to shoot him, but he doesn't. And that just goes to show that Tommy needs him alive for something. He needs him alive for something because there's no reason that he wouldn't kill somebody else that spoke to him like that, even made that threat against his family. And yes, I wish he would have shot him, but you know. Karma's real and it misses no one, not Campbell, does not miss Campbell, he gets his. Then we see Campbell smoking and standing on the street in the next scene. He gives a group of police officers the go-ahead to knock down a door into someone's home. They kick it in and go in and it is revealed that it's Stanley Chapman's home. Campbell stands there watching the scene and Stanley Chapman is dragged out and Sergeant Moss walks up to Campbell with the money that we saw in the first scene. And it's wrapped, still wrapped in the brown paper. And he says, Steams, Stanley Chapman really does have snow on his boots. Campbell is very satisfied at this and walks up to Stanley while he's being detained on the ground and tells him that he's effed. In the next scene, we see Campbell sitting at his desk, lighting a pipe, and Sergeant Moss walks in and says that Stanley Chapman is still refusing to say where it came from. Campbell says he's sure that he'll change his mind with a little persuasion and that he'll tell them everything, including the whereabouts of Freddie Thorne. Moss is confused and tells Campbell that he thought that Campbell had done a deal. And Campbell says, oh, is that what you thought? And Moss is really confused at this point. And he says, you gave your word. And Campbell says, my word? Do people still talk about such things in this idiotic century? My word to whom? A Peaky Blinder? He then tells Moss to go interrogate Chapman about Freddie Thorne and Ada. Moss, at this point, looks disgusted. He looks dumbfounded. And Campbell admits that his campaign against Tommy Shelby has become personal. It's really just a sad moment. You can tell that Campbell is like, wow, like I'm, I'm working for the devil. And it quickly gets worse in this episode. And the next scene, we see Freddie walking in a cemetery and he's holding flowers. And we can see that there's another person at a grave nearby where Freddie is approaching. It's not clear who it is yet. Freddie approaches a grave and we see the name on the grave is Irene May Thorne. Freddie takes his hat off and places the flowers down. And just a few headstones over, we see the other person is Polly. She's sitting at a grave and says to Freddie, today is her birthday. I know you never miss it. Freddie is so sick of the Shelbys by this point. <laughs> And he says, I'm lucky you're not a copper. What do you want? Polly says she came to warn him and that they've lifted Stanley Chapman and Freddie is confused. He asks how she knows that and Polly confirms that it's because her and Tommy are the ones who tip the coppers off. Polly tells Freddie that Tommy struck the deal so that he and Ada could have a safe passage. She says Tommy gave them Stanley and the money And Freddie, once again, plays dumb and asks, what money? Polly gives him a knowing look because Polly is not to be trifled with. Freddie asks, who told her about the money? And Polly says, who do you think? Yeah, it was Ada. Y'all, this is shots fired, basically betrayed by his own wife. Polly says, that's how desperate she is to get out of that rat hole you're keeping her in. She says that Ada didn't care if Freddie knew that she's the one who gave him up. She just didn't want to be around whenever he found out about it. (sighs) Had to take a sip. Stay hydrated. Polly says, sometimes women have to take over like in the war. Once again, women are the backbone of society and ran society when the men were at war and women are still the backbone of society. Write that one down. Freddie is so mad and says, "Who the hell do you think you effing Shelby's?" And then Polly cuts him off. Polly cuts him off and says, "Don't swear over your mother's grave." I also like, I love how Polly says her R. She says like, "Don't sweat over your mother's grave." I love it. I don't know if that's a Birmingham thing. I'm guessing it is. If it's two, you know, two characters talk like that, respectfully, Brits, please don't come after me for my for my accent. I'm trying. And Freddie says, you play your tune. You expect the whole world to dance to it. Polly tells him there's no time for this. They made the deal for Ada's sake. And they don't, you know, it's for Ada. It's not really about him. They're not trying to make him mad. This is about Ada. Freddie asks Polly if she thinks the copper will keep his word. Polly says, if he does, you're safe. If he doesn't, Chapman will give you up. You'll still have to leave town. Same result. Freddie just looks, he kind of scoffs, and he goes, there's one thing you got wrong. Stanley won't be able to give up my address because he doesn't know it. That's how it works. None of us know each other's addresses, so you've wasted your effing time. They'll keep beating him and beating him for information he doesn't have. So all you've done is sign the death warrant of a good man. Whew, that's good writing. I could never... I could never, not as witty as I think I am, sign the death warrant of a good man. I love that. Genius. Genius. Polly says to him, so you won't leave? Freddie says, no, I won't effing leave. And if you want me out of Birmingham, it'll have to be in a wooden box. Y'all, at this point, I want to square up with Freddie. Just get out of Birmingham. Just get out. Like, what are you doing? What is it? Th- uh, this, like male like fragile masculinity it's about Tommy thinking that it's Tommy running him out like get out take Ada take your baby Ugh, I'm fed up y'all I'm sorry Freddie Thorne makes me snap gather okay I'm back Polly's pissed and honestly they're staring each other down because Polly does not back down whoo god love her and then Freddie I wish he would He grabs Polly by the face in anger, and she quickly gets out of his grasp. And she says, you lay a hand on our Ada, and I'll put you in a wooden box myself. Freddie just kind of smirks in disbelief and disgust and defeat, and briefly points at her and walks away. Polly then turns to the grave and says, you raised a stubborn one there, Irene. Ugh freddie drives me crazy he does a great job playing him and the writing is incredible because yeah it takes something real good to make me feel like that so then in the next scene it's very brief it's just almost like a little just a little snippet we see freddie smoking and just he's pensive he's thinking and ada is sleeping and he's just kind of staring at her while he's doing that and the scene is over then we get to the next scene, which is actually, it's just heartbreaking. We see, see Campbell coming down the stairs into a basement, and we see a man shackled to a doorway. And the imagery here is that one arm, I'm going to call it a doorway. It's, you know, it is, it's not a true doorway. It's an arch, basically. And a man is hanging. One arm is shackled to one side of the quote-unquote doorway, and the other hand is shackled to the other and both hands are shackled up high so his arms are like in a v and this man is just dead white dead weight he's just he's hanging there this is so god the scene is so painful because you can see like that moss is defeated and I can tell that he is feels really bad about what he's doing but he's conflicted because there's the human side where he knows what he's doing is wrong, but he also has orders to carry out. I think he's also scared of Chief Inspector Campbell. He says, you told me to carry on. I wanted to stop. He had some kind of seizure. And then this is where we see the brutality. The man is just dead weight. He's hanging. His back is, looks like he's been lashed. He's covered completely in wounds. It's all bloody. It's just awful. Campbell is completely unaffected and he says so you killed him did he give you an address and Moss looks defeated and Campbell says what's wrong with you he fell down the stairs it's so gross y'all I hate I hate Chief Inspector Campbell evil the devil Moss says this is not bloody Belfast And Campbell says, not yet. But if men like him get their way, it soon will be. He's completely missing the point. Completely missing the point. He continues and says, so find some stairs, throw him down, and call the coroner. And Moss is just devastated. And then this goes to show Chief Inspector Campbell's reach and the blackmail that he has on so many people, the information that he has. And he tells Sergeant Moss to use Grayson, and if Grayson has any awkward questions, to ask him about the welfare of his mistress insultingly and that will shut him up. How disgusting. My God. The information he has on people. We see Kimber sitting in a car in Tommy's neighborhood, and... He's there with his accountant, Roberts, and Kimber says to think, I used to live in a shithole like this, bloody animals. Roberts tells him that the Shelbys are doing an excellent job for them. He gives Kimber a document and he says they haven't lost a single penny to rafflers or to Chalkers in eight race meetings. So obviously the Shelbys are doing a great job. They're saving him a ton of money. Kimber is annoyed at this, but again, he knows his accountant is right about the Shelbys. And Kimber says, so we throw the dog a bone. Tommy, immediately, we see him come into frame. He walks up to the car window. He knocks and he opens the door and he tells the men to come inside and to have a look around. He opens the door to the bedding room and the men walk in. And Kimber says we heard the ladies turned you over oh he makes me sick why did I just do that accent gross I can't stand him and Tommy tells him that he shouldn't listen to gossip Robert says business is good especially since you know which horse is going to win before you set the odds so a little bit of shade and Kimber says all right where are they Tommy calls John, Scudboat, and Lovelock into where they're standing and introduces them as his team and says they will take up their pitch at Mr. Kimber's convenience. Tommy lays out their roles and says John is the book, Scudboat is the bagman, and Lovelock is the protection. Kimber tells them to be at Warwick the following Saturday and to be at least 50 yards from the beer tent. Kimber walks out and Robert hands Tommy a document. We still don't know what it is. So they're gone and Tommy walks back into the bedding room. And y'all, this is one of the sweetest, I'm going to say most pure moments of the entire series. It is such one filled with such genuine Joy. And really, whenever I was watching it again, I was like, oh, my God. Like, my heart was just swelling because I am rooting for this family. I am cheering for these Shelbys. I really am. So Tommy walks back into the bedding room and tells people to gather around. And he announces that in his hand, he has a legal bedding license issued by the Board of Control and that the Shelby family has its first legal racetrack pitch. Y'all, it's such a proud moment for every single person in that room. All the employees, whether they're family or not. All the Shelbys. They're coming up and it's legit. And they all hug and cheer. its It was such a sweet moment. Such a moment of levity that was needed. It's like, okay, this is all for something, right? And it makes it clear that this is why... Tommy has tolerated what he has from Billy Kimber, he has taken things from him that he would never you know, treatment from him that he would never take off of anybody unless that person could benefit him we go to the next scene and we see Arthur counting money in the garrison and Grace walks by as as he's doing it she's carrying a crate and she opens it and she says these cigarettes have a strange smell Arthur, they smell like rotting water and look rats have gotten to some of them She hands a pack to Arthur, and she says, they're stolen, are they not? Arthur says, don't ask, and Grace says they smell because they're kept on a boat, and Arthur basically says, look, listen up, little girl, it's none of your concern. He asks her to check his adding up to make sure that the money that he was counting, you know, he was adding it correctly, and then she leans over to look at it, and and Arthur, my God, guy get a grip while she's bending over next to him to make sure that the money adds up he's looking at her bum and he even almost touches it but he stops himself but the way he resists like he's physically like fighting himself to resist I don't know I just thought it was funny he did not touch her that's why it's funny okay of course we're not gonna be laughing at any kind of non-consenting physical touch grace tells him that he should really make a new start with the pub and run it properly she says the cigarettes are not fit to sell and that he needs a new place to store them then arthur arthur the way that he releases information to outsiders i see why tommy's running things y'all i love arthur but arthur says that it has to be far away from the coppers and then grace just casually asks what's wrong with the dry warehouse and he says it's tommy orders grace says what orders and arthur says always keep contraband near petrol boat moorings grace asks don't boats get searched and arthur says we moor them at junction so there's more than one way out no locks within a mile so we can move that stuff fast just literally just word vomit just stuff coming out like why are you telling an outsider this I guess he felt like he could trust her. And of course we know why she's asking these questions. It's so that she could go to Chief Inspector Campbell and do her assignment. I guess she's there to do a job. Grace says, your brother doesn't obey the law, but he has rules. A precise man, your brother. Arthur asks if he had added up right, and Grace tells him it is now. So me and Arthur have that in common. We don't do math well. Two plus two is five, right? Cool fun fact, I majored in history because I love history, but because it meant I had to take less math classes (laughs) when I was in college. Like, that's how severe this is. I have a mental block when it comes to numbers. No joke. No joke, Arthur. I feel you, buddy. We see Campbell circling points on a map and counting. And while this is happening, it's going between that scene and a scene where we see coppers raiding boat moorings. They're opening crates, they're looking for contraband, and Moss tells them not so much as a bullet, not so much as a bullet has been found, just more cigarettes and whiskey. And Campbell is so mad because he was sure that they were going to find what they thought was there. So we see Grace locking up the garrison and leaving, and Tommy just kind of comes out of nowhere and startles her from behind, and says, Arthur tells me you've been asking questions about how we run our business and how we get our booze and where we keep it. Grace is trying to play it cool because she knows she knows he's suspicious of her and she says she's just trying to help. Tommy tells her to go on a walk with him and Grace is kind of scared as she should be. I would have been scared too. Uh, she's wary and she asks where to and Tommy doesn't answer, answer and just says, come on. They walk into a church. God, this scene is just so incredible for so many reasons. God, I love this show. It's so brilliant. It is so well written. They walk into a church and Grace asks, why here? And Tommy says, you're a good Catholic girl, aren't you? She says, yes. And then Tommy says, and you know it's here people come to confess. They sit down and Tommy says, he confesses he needs someone. He says, Billy Kimber has Roberts that keeps the accounts and that Roberts talks well and runs the legal side of the business and that he needs a Roberts and that Grace has something he needs. And that something is class. He needs someone who looks right at the big meetings and looks right at Epsom at Ascot's and he's told by Arthur that she's good with numbers and that she can keep the books in orders there's this banter going on and she's kind of you know laughing about it and she's like well good is relative Arthur's awful at numbers you know all that good stuff then Tommy says god he's so good y'all the writing chef's kiss Tommy says but you're a liar Grace pauses. Her demeanor changes because she's like, oh, wow. Yep, this is it. This is where it ends. And Tommy says, no Catholic girl would enter a church and forget to make the sign of a cross. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. Just goes to show how strong that Irish Catholic influence. Is that the word? Not influence. How strong that was. If you're Irish Catholic, you are have nothing but respect You're very pious and you are doing the sign of the cross. She tells him he's very perceptive, which yes, my baby Tommy is. And he reminds her that she lied about the pub that she supposedly worked in. And now he finds out she's a Protestant. She asks if he cares and he says no, he definitely doesn't care. She says she lied to fit in and Tommy says, you pull a pint like someone who's thinking about it. And she kind of gets flustered and she stands up and says, this isn't an interview, it's an interrogation. And he just calmly tells her to sit down. Tommy tells her she washed up in a place she doesn't belong and that it's his good fortune. And she says, and perhaps mine. And they just stare at each other. Y'all, this is one of the hottest scenes ever. And it's so well written because there's nothing like nasty going on. But you can just feel the tension between them. And it's like it's already love, even though nothing has happened, truly. And Tommy's posture just relaxes and he just, you know, kind of crosses his legs and he leans back. And he says, you know, that most of what I do is illegal. And she acknowledges that. And he asks, and yet you'd still be willing to work for me? She smiles and asks if he's offering the job, and he scoffs, and she says, then I accept. Then he says, there's something else you should know, a very important detail about my reasons for employing you. Okay, y'all. Then he touches her face, y'all, just ever so gently, and leans in and kisses her. And let me tell you what, he may kiss her... But baby girl does not dodge that kiss. She's loving it. She's not supposed to be loving it. She knows she's not supposed to be loving it. She loves it. And she says, you disappoint me. And you see that he just really like kind of clams up. He looks embarrassed and disarmed. Because he's probably not used to that. He's used to people, particularly women, doing whatever he wants and swooning over him. He asks if she resigns, and she smiles and says no, that her appetite for the work has only increased. Honey, her appetite has only increased. I am telling you, Grace, not only has, inc- has it increased, Grace is there with a fork, a knife, a plate, a napkin. She is ready for seconds. She's ready, y'all. She is ready. Tommy gets up and walks out. And he tells her, tomorrow, I'll show you around. She ready? Okay. um, So then we get to a very, very important scene. A very, very heartbreaking scene. So we see a woman walking down the street, and she's carrying a basket. And Tommy is driving kind of next to her, and he approaches her as she walks. And he tells her that her bag looks heavy and to get in. Tommy tells her it's okay. He's not going to try to talk her out of it. We don't know who she is, right? We can kind of infer, but we don't know for sure. The car stops and she gets in. Tommy tells her he just wants to talk. And she asks, you're not against us? Tommy tells her that his brother John is his own man and that she's her own woman. This scene, God, y'all, it's so brilliant. The use of cash while they're talking... Okay, here we go. He pulls out a wad of cash and he puts some, I'm going to call it the console. And he says, now Lizzie, since I came back from France, I've come to you on many occasion. Lizzie says, oh Tommy, you didn't tell him. And Tommy says that he didn't tell him, just like Lizzie didn't tell him. As he says this, he's adding money to the stack on the console. And he says, now why didn't you tell him, Lizzie? why didn't you tell him that you've been serving his brother for the past two years lizzie says because the past is the past i don't want to lose him he's a good man and tommy says that's the answer i was hoping you'd give our john says you've changed and i believe him and that's good and as he's saying that he's adding more money to the stack and he says change is good he adds more money to the stack he says, these are new times, I'm told, so I wish you both every happiness, and I want you to see that as my wedding gift. And he points to the money and our farewell to pleasures gone by. And it's so sad because it's like she's looking at him. She looks so sad about this, and it really makes you wonder, like, wow, does she maybe have feelings for him beyond anything? a professional relationship like was she perhaps falling in love with him each time he would frequent her it's really sad like this whole vibe of this scene it it is really heartbreaking on so many levels and he just stares at her and she says you mean one last time and he nods and says one last time you and me she picks up the money and you can just see a shift in Tommy's face he realizes something She asks, so where shall we go? And Tommy's silent. She says, Tommy, should we go to my lodging? And while this was happening, I was just cringing. I was hiding under the covers. I was so sad. Tommy stares at her. And again, he's completely unfazed. And he says, so the past is not the past. And we see Lizzie finally realizing what he's getting at. Tommy tells her, you can keep the money, Lizzie. Just get out of the car. And she pleads with Tommy and insists that she loves his brother, John. He just keeps telling her to get out of the car. And he touches her face tenderly, like he did Grace's. And he tells her, John will make his own decision, but he will have the facts. So sad. She slaps his hand away and says, your brother is ten times the man you are. And she gets out of the car, infuriated. She's so mad. Tommy sighs and says, of that I have no doubt. It's so interesting to me how Tommy is so self-deprecating, kind of, like whenever he says, you know, yeah, my brother is more than me, more of a man than me. And then he tells Finn, don't ever try to be like me. And it's like he means it. It's like he understands that he's not goals of any kind. It's really part of his, his gothic nature. Campbell and Grace meet up at the museum and... Campbell says that Tommy isn't stupid because all they found was tobacco and whiskey. Grace asks if they left it in place, and he says yes, that he would never endanger her. He tells her she's doing well, and he grabs her arm and holds it, like, in an intimate way. Ugh, gross. So disgusting. Grace says she's been working on Arthur because he's easier. And like we said, Arthur just kind of spews information. And... Campbell says, less intelligent. And Grace says yes. And she rolls her eyes while saying it. You can tell that at this point, she is, she cannot stand Campbell and like their interactions make her skin crawl. And then Campbell, because he's so insecure, he has such fragile masculinity, he asks, Is that a word you use about Thomas? And she says, That's your word. She reveals that Tommy has promoted her and that he wants her to be a bookkeeper and secretary. Campbell scoffs and says a cutthroat gangster with a secretary, and he's making fun of them, and he wants her to join in. You can tell that Grace is so annoyed. He comments about how Tommy has fallen so hard for her, and she says that she thought he'd be pleased. He says, I just want you to remember who you're dealing with here, a man who cuts off ears and cuts out tongues. She says she knows what he is. And Campbell says, the difficulty with going undercover is to remember what you are. And Grace is mad. She says, I come here with good news and I get this. And she walks off. What a downer, dude. So now we get to another scene. We see John cleaning the family car and Tommy walks up. And John tells Tommy he wants to borrow the car so he can take Lizzie and the kids for a ride in the countryside. So they can celebrate getting the legal license oh, my heart breaks for John. It's so sad. Tommy agrees to this, and you can tell that he is really regretful about what he has to say to John. And you know what? I don't blame Tommy. As messed up as this is of what he did to Lizzie, I understand I understand why he did it. And it'll become very clear towards the end of the episode. He regretfully tells John about his conversation with Lizzie, and He tells John, do with that information what you want. And he tells him that Lizzie did say yes to his proposition. John's devastated and he takes the car keys. He gets in the car and he, I would say he has a little bit of a breakdown. And then he quickly, quickly gets out of the car and he starts walking. Then we go to the next scene and we see Tommy. He slams a glass down on the bar at the garrison and tells Grace to grab another glass she fills both, and Tommy asks her if she can make a toast. She says, yeah, man, I'm Irish. I can make a million toasts. Like, who are you kidding? Do you know who you're talking to? They raise their glasses, and she says, may you be in heaven a full half hour before the devil knows you're dead. And they cheers, and they drink. She asks what they're celebrating, and he pulls out a piece of paper, and says, it says contract of employment. She says she had a phone put in the back, and Tommy is, like, really unimpressed. And he's like, okay, cool, if I knew somebody else had had a phone, uh, we could call them. Like, God, can, come on, get excited about something. She says that since they're celebrating, she had a bottle of champagne delivered from Rackham's department store. He looks at it, expressionless as always, and she asks if he'll open it. And he refuses, saying to save it for a special occasion. And Grace looks deflated, for sure. He puts an item on the bar and tells her that her first job is to get that item to his sister. He is told Ada is hiding from him, and he's also told that she frequents a bathhouse on Montague Street on women-only days and that she goes in disguise. So he needs someone on the inside. Grace asks what she's delivering, and Tommy tells her it's an invitation to a family occasion and that he wants her there and to tell Ada that there will be a truce. Grace asks if she's getting, if she's setting bait for a trap, which I don't blame her, and Tommy basically puts her in her place and says if you check that contract, it doesn't say anything about asking questions. And to just give her the invitation, that's it. That's all he needs he points to the champagne and says, put that thing in the cupboard until I say, and he walks out of the garrison pub. So then we see Tommy walking up a dimly lit stairwell to his own room, and the lighting in this scene is just so great. There are so many shadows. It's amazing. There's so much power and shadows to me whenever it comes to cinematography or photography. It's so beautiful. He's outside of his room, and he can just tell that somebody something's not right. He can sense somebody has messed with his room or is in his room or has been in there. He pulls a gun out and waits for a minute and he barges in and he points the gun and we see John there. It's not funny. It's really sad. We see John there with Tommy's opium pipe to his mouth and Tommy asks, what the hell? And John says he couldn't even get it lit. (laughs) Like, like, man, first his woman betrays him, and now he can't even get the opium pipe lit. Like, what a day. What a day. God, give him a break. <sighs> Tommy asks, why would you want to be smoking that? And John says, same as you, pain in the head. And John says he spoke, to, he spoke to Lizzie. He confronted her. And Lizzie denied it, and she said that Tommy was a dirty liar. John says that he spoke to Lizzie's sister and to her cousin, and he bought him a few drinks, you know, helped loosen him up. And they told John just a few regulars, that's all, talking about Lizzie. To keep the wolf from the front door, she still sees a couple of regulars. It's just a really sad moment, you know, because John wants his brother's approval. He, it means a lot to him. And John tells Tommy he must think he's an idiot. Tommy sits next to him on the bed and it's just really comforting him and rubbing his head and says, I think you're the first Shelby in family history to have a legal license for anything. What would our granddad say? And then they kind of go back and forth. They make jokes about making legal money. And he would say in this household, talking about their grandfather. And it's just a sweet, tender human moment. And Tommy says they're not kids anymore. And John says, but we still have to look out for each other, right? Tommy looks at him and says, yeah. And he's just being really a really sweet older brother. And he tells him to go home and get some sleep because they have a big day tomorrow. John's confused. He says, we have. And Tommy tells him, tomorrow we finish the war with the Lees for once and for all. And John says, since when? And Tommy says, since just now, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, be ready for anything. Okay, y'all, then we get to one of the most intense, I don't even know, like, unexpected scenes. And you know what? I can't even say that because there are so many twists and turns for every single episode. The next scene, we see the Peaky Blinders and Tommy asks if they're ready. John says he's ready. Arthur tells him to have a drink. They're all standing around. And everyone is staring at John because everybody seems to be in on what's happening except for John. John is agitated about it, and he asks them why they're staring. And Tommy just says, good, let's go. Doesn't answer him. They start walking in a pack, and they all have weapons in hand. They're approaching the Lees, and John is just kind of starting to panic. He really has no idea what's going on. He's completely out of the loop. Tommy turns to John and says, John, before you go into battle, there's something you're going to need. And Tommy pulls out a flower. I believe it's a white carnation and he puts it on his lapel and all of the men do the same. They pull out a white carnation and put them on their lapels. John is confused and flustered and asks Tommy what's like, what's going on, what he's doing. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say, one of you commented on my post. It was so cute. And you said if you ever make a mistake when recording call it a peaky blunder it is so cute so yes i make many peaky blunders it is what it is take it or leave it so yes thank you so much for that cute suggestion i love it so okay back to it john looks devastated and tommy grabs his face and says smile it's a wedding john asks whose wedding and tommy tells him that if they told him he wouldn't have come Tommy starts to explain that there's a Lee girl who had gone a little wild and that she needs marrying off. John fully realizes what's happening at this moment and freaks out, and the guys crowd around him to keep him contained and like, look, man, this is happening. Tommy grabs his face again and says, A girl who needs a husband, a man who needs a wife. Tommy tells John that he's already betrothed him and that if they back out now, there's going to be a war that makes the psalm looks like an effing tea party. See y'all, this is what we said. Tommy Shelby thinks so nobody has to. This whole time it was literally happening since the moment at the garrison and since the Lees went into the bedding room and did that. God, it's so genius. It is so smart. I'll never be over the writing. Tommy explains that if John marries her, the Shelbys and the Lees will be united forever and that the war will be over. That just goes to show how important these family bonds are even though they're not truly family they will be via marriage and that you don't touch family no matter doesn't matter what happened before the marriage what happens is what matters is now this is what matters tommy tells john it's up to him and john begrudgingly agrees arthur is trying to make it better by talking about the size of the bride's dowry tommy tells john that the bride's father is giving him a car which makes john grin can't even hide it he wants that car he wants them wheels they approach the woman that Tommy met with earlier in the episode, and he points to John and asks if John will do. She smiles and says he'll do, and it's just a really sweet moment. The crowd of the Peaky Blinders cheer, and it's just, it's just a, a funny moment. We see the bride walking up in a white dress, and we can't see her face because it's covered by a veil, and John says she better be under 50. They kneel, and the officiant is Johnny Dogs and Polly arrives with Ada, and you can tell that Tommy is so happy that she's there. They're they're, there getting married, and the bride lifts her veil, and Johnny is very happy with what he sees in his new bride, and you can tell that she's very happy as well. The bride's name is Esme, played by Amy Fionn Edwards. Tommy and Ada are talking, and Tommy notices that Freddie isn't there, And Ada says that that Freddie isn't speaking to her. And when he does, he calls her an effing Shelby, even though she's a thorn now. And then Tommy says, a thorn in my side, that's for sure. So witty. So quick. This makes Ada smile. And Ada is watching Tommy as he watches John get married. And Ada says, my God, Tommy, you admire him, don't you? And Tommy just smiles. It's so sweet. It just goes to show how tough he is on the outside, that he is just a little, just has that ooey gooey center that has a heart and still craves love and acceptance from somebody, even though he's so mistrusting, I understand. And so as part of the ceremony, it's a really interesting part visually. So they cut Esme's hand and they cut John's hand and they have them join hands, signifying the union of the two families. So they're celebrating, they're dancing, they're singing, they're playing instruments, and Tommy looks really happy. Honestly, everybody looks really happy, including John and Esme. Polly approaches Tommy, and she asks him to calm Ada down, and she says she's tried, but Ada's been drinking so much, and she's basically lashing out because she's been so cooped up and isolated for weeks. Y'all, Ada is lit in this scene. She is going crazy and cannot be tamed Ada says take a look Esme come and look at the family you've joined come and look at the man who runs it he chooses his brother's wife for him he hunts his own sister like a rat and he tries to kill his own brother-in-law John and Esme stand at this point looking concerned they're like hey take that craziness elsewhere this is our wedding but Ada gets so worked up that her water breaks. God. So stressful. Sorry, that's how I react to anything regarding childbirth. Okay, so we see Tommy smoking outside of the Shelby residence and Arthur, Esme, and John pull up in the new car and (laughs) John is driving like crazy John, uh, Tommy compliments it and asks how she runs and Polly reminds them that Ada is in there giving birth and they're talking about a bloody car. And they say there isn't much they can do at the moment except go get drunk. And Polly stops them and says at least one man needs to be there. And Tommy says, yes, Freddie should be here. The truth lasts until sunrise and tell Freddie it's safe to come by and be by Ada's side. And this just instantly makes Polly happy and she smiles because she wants that for her niece. She wants that. Ada deserves that. The baby deserves that. It's a sweet moment. So we see Ada giving birth and which, my God, if you've been following me for a while, you know that I have zero desire to ever, ever be pregnant. And that if I were to ever have children, it would be via adoption. But... My God, are women not magic? The fact that we can get pregnant and grow a human inside and that our body just gives birth and then produces food for the baby after. Like, women are incredible. My God. So incredible. We see Ada laboring. She's giving birth. And Esme is there. Look, she just got into the Shelby family and she's already helping Ada give birth. So Esme and Polly are there. And Esme tells Polly she thinks the baby is the wrong way and she's feeling her stomach and so is Polly. And Polly agrees and they say they should lean her forward. And they do that and Ada, oh my god, I could feel it through my TV screen. Ada is screaming and sweating and laboring and just being a champ about it. And then we see the guys drinking in the pub and having the time of their life. Um whatever John reveals to Grace who is serving them that Freddie will be there for the birth of his child but because Tommy said it was okay Arthur tells John that he thinks it's the pretty barmaid that's made Tommy go soft and this moment is really special because Tommy sits back and smiles and we can't hear what's being said but Tommy is just sitting there so relaxed and it's like he looks so genuinely relaxed and happy which is something we don't see for him it's like you know his plan worked he got his brother John taken care of he's letting Freddie be by his sister's side and it's just such a nice moment they got the legal license it's so great then we see Freddie sprinting down the street. The lighting here is also amazing. It's we, what we really just see is a silhouette of Freddie sprinting down the street. and he makes it to the Shelby's house and he's banging on the door. he's screaming Ada's name. and he doesn't get let in instantly. so he's just there, he's impatient. And then we see him walk in and Ada is holding a baby. The baby looks healthy, and she tells him it's a boy, and Freddie just looks so happy. It's just such a sweet moment, and it is so short-lived. We hear the police pounding on the door, and they grab Freddy. And it is so sad because Freddie is screaming, they're taking me away from my baby. It is just devastating. Ada is devastated. It's a horrible, horrible sight so we go back to the garrison and we see tommy drinking at the bar as grace wipes it down and she asks if they should open that bottle of champagne the doors of the garrison bust open and it's polly and she storms in and you can tell that she's been crying she's livid if looks could kill everybody in that room would be dead she announces that it's a boy and tommy looks so genuinely happy and thrilled and then polly charges at tommy And he restrains her, as do Arthur and John. And he's really confused. Polly tells him that the police came and took his father away. Tommy is lost and Polly commands him not to look at her like this. Like, don't look at me like that. You know what you did. Tommy says nothing this whole time and Polly is shaking. And she spits at him and calls him a liar and walks away. Tommy is just staring as she walks out of the... As she leaves the pub. He's completely dumbfounded. He's so confused. And he's just frozen in place. And Grace is watching Tommy as he stands there stunned. And the question remains... Because Tommy really looks lost. Who ratted Freddie out? Was it Tommy? Was it Grace And she just got that information? it is her job to tell on the Peaky Blinders... Or was it someone else? And that's the end of episode four. It was a lot. It was an amazing episode. So much happened and it just really leaves you wanting more. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of By the Order. I hope you tune in next week as I discuss episode five. If you would like to know where you can find me, I am on Instagram at The Neighborhood Hype Girl. Come on over. We would love to have you. By the Order is written, hosted, and edited by me, The Neighborhood Hype Girl. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon.